selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. True crime podcasts are a lot of fun, but there are zillions of them out there. So how do you pick which one to listen to? You go with the experts. And the Generation Y podcast has true crime's very best. Hosts and true crime fanatics, Justin and Aaron, were one of the first true crime podcasts out there. Their mission for almost 10 years, pioneers, 10 years, has been to explore hundreds of unsolved murders and conspiracy theories. They dig through evidence, give their takes, and ask the hard questions. And no case is too big or small. In one of their latest episodes, Aaron and Justin profile a mysterious death from 2004. Alonzo Brooks was a young black man who went to a party with some friends in a rural area near their homes. But when his friends left the party without him that night, he never returned home the next day. A month later, he was found dead without any clear indication that his death was a result of foul play. But in July 2020, the FBI has reclassified his manner of death to homicide. And there's even evidence that his death was a hate crime. What does the FBI know now? And how will they begin to solve this almost 20-year-old murder case? You know, this is an important case, and this is exactly the kind of true crime case you want to learn about. How they get it wrong at first, then take another shot with modern technology, and, you know, hopefully bring justice. Absolutely. So listen to Wondery's The Generation Y podcast on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, W-O-N-D-E-R-Y. Wondery. Feel the story. Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Today, we face a threat America has never seen before. A former president who provoked a violent attack on this Capitol in an effort to steal the election has resumed his aggressive effort to convince Americans that the election was stolen from him. He risks inciting further violence. Millions of Americans have been misled by the former president. They have heard only his words, but not the truth. So there you have it. 
Murphy, uh, Liz Cheney from last week, she spoke after the last Hacks on Tap, but her words still resonate, and she was doing the tour of uh, of media uh, during the week. Um, and we're still we're still grappling with this now. So, I, and we've got what I think is the perfect guest hack <laughs> here for this discussion. We do. I'm so proud of Liz. She is throwing the Wyoming haymakers, and I don't think it's going to stop. And to help talk about all and everything up in politics, but starting with this uh, situation we have in the not-so-grand, very old party right now, is a dear old friend of mine from the many Republican wars of liberation, former (laughs) Romney advisor, former two-term state delegate from a very tough uh, district in Virginia, and just because that wasn't hard enough, won two terms in probably the toughest swing congress race in the country, Virginia 10th up Northern Virginia. Welcome, special guest hack, my old friend, Barbara Comstock. Good to be with you. That was a big wind up there. Well, old friend, you know, I wanted, <laughs> yes. to, I wanted to, I wanted to do 110%. Deserves every yeah. word of it. Yeah. Good to have you. Yeah. You know, the players you're in touch, you, you know, you're, you're close to uh representative Cheney. What, what is your kind of inside and outside perspective on all this uh, through the, the Cheney thing and the rest of the madness? Well, I've known Liz Cheney for over 20 years, and I'm just very proud of her. And that's why I wanted to speak out myself, you know, for what it's worth. Uh, the Cheney family never shy from a battle, and they don't worry about the, you know, I mean, they they do what they think is right. And sometimes that is, you know, for a lot of times that has meant getting attacked from the left. And having a lot of, you know, unpleasant attacks there, now it means getting attacked by a fringe Trump group. Uh, But it's, you know, I really wouldn't even call it the right because Liz is certainly a strong conservative, had, you know, as conservative a record as anybody in Congress. But this no longer isn't about whether you're moderate or conservative. It's about a Trump litmus test that has been put on the House leadership, I would note in the Senate, um, to their credit, they don't have anyone in the Senate leadership who, you know, failed to vote to certify the election on January 6th. You know, Mitch McConnell made a very strong statement about impeachment, certainly on, on January 6th. Um, other leaders, you know, Joni Ernst, uh, you know, John Thune, they are not part of this, you know, big lie conspiracy promoting effort. So when Liz was still in the House leadership, you had a situation where, okay, we'll maybe agree to disagree on this, but let's turn the page and work. But that wasn't good enough. You had this whole attack on Liz started by people like Matt Gates, the odious Matt Gates, who has all of his problems. But the idea that he is still, you know, a member in whatever, (laughs) I don't think good standing, but still there along with the Marjorie Greens and the Lauren Boberts, yet Liz is the one person who gets attacked within the party after January 6th. I, I just think that's unconscionable and sad. And I, I think history will treat Liz very well. And those deniers and those who continue to propagate the big lie, I don't think history will treat very well. You know, it's always cool to be treated well by history. The question is, how are you going to get treated by by voters, and how are you going to get treated by your colleagues? And what so, what do you think the short term uh, for her is? Uh, 
you know, what role is she going to play in the House? And will she stay in the House? Uh, because, uh, you know, obviously for Trump and the Trump universe, e extinguishing her completely is uh, at the top of their agenda. Well, I, I, I do. I'm, I mean, I'm putting my bets on people like Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, John Katko, who has been a leader in the January 6th commission, and my you know, people like Lisa Murkowski in the Senate. And that's where I'm focusing my efforts to help those people who I think are the future of the Republican Party. Also on the outside, you have leaders like Will Hurd, who is speaking out on these issues and I think is a great future uh, for the party in Texas and maybe even nationally one of these days. And so there's a lot of people who I still think, um, you know, the party can move forward with, uh, but certainly Donald Trump, who now is at 32% approval rating and in the high 50s or so disapproval, is not somebody who can lead Republicans back to a majority. So first, I think it's morally wrong to have somebody who has lied to voters who, you know, I felt sorry for a lot of these people who believe his lies because it, it is an unusual situation to have a president, a former president, continue to lie, continue to demand, you know, that he is the litmus test of all things that are going to be Republican. And, you know, there are people, a lot of these people I feel like are somewhat victims of the president who are sending their little $25 to a Marjorie Green or somebody else. I don't, I don't feel sorry for anyone on January 6th who listened to the president lies in order to commit crimes. And, and, and like Liz, I, I feel there's still a very much a present danger in that regard. But, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough road back. You know, certainly Liz has taken the tougher road. You know, I'm a Robert Frost fan. I went to Middlebury College where they had things everywhere. I said, you know, two ro roads diverged in the wood and I took the one less traveled and that has made all the difference. Liz has taken the road less traveled, which is a tougher road and is going to stand up for what she thinks is right. And that means all of the people who voted for impeachment or standing up against this are going to have a more difficult time. But long term, I think Trumpism is sore loserism. It's looking back. Politics is about what's in the future and looking forward. And somebody who can capture that and embrace that and take the party forward is going to be a future leader. And so I'm confident he will never be president again. I, I am certainly optimistic and will do everything to work that he's not the nominee again. But if Republicans choose for him to be the nominee again, then that 46.9 when you divide that and take away people, I mean, I wasn't even in that 46.9, but I know a lot of people who were, who they're out now. And even if it's only 10%, 20%, 30%, these guys can brag about having 70% of a minority, but that doesn't win. And if you care about the issues for the future of this country and you're center-right conservative and you want your views to be enacted, you got to win. So- yeah win by having somebody who's not morally compromised or incapable of getting a majority and is just a divisive personality yeah. toxic barbara i can't resist asking a little inside baseball because you know that caucus <laughs> you've been in the, <laughs> that's what we're all about here cloak yeah it's our it's our stock and trade here at hacks what were you hearing from members i i think w the cheney vote was a combination of two things obviously the fear of trump and primaries and all that that we've been talking about for a long time 
But there's also kind of a fetish in, in these caucuses, and I think particularly in the Republican one, about stay on the team, the team message. And the message is this ostrich thing of it never happened. And if you bring it up, you're helping, of course, the worst enemy ever, the mainstream media, bring up the issue which helps us in 2020. I mean, what do you think from people you've talked to were the private thoughts of people who were with Cheney and then flipped? Were they just scared of the leadership? Was it Trump? Was it real frustration with her because of this team thing? What, 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 it, not the Freedom Caucus, not the hardcore, you know, or the nut squad, but the regular <laughs> members, uh, which is still more, in my view, than half the caucus uh, or the conference. I think the, the two thirds who voted for Liz in February represent that group, as you're pointing out, the ones yeah. who know the big lie is false, who kind of wanted to stand up against the loud minority, the Matt Gates and the Freedom Caucus guys who try and dictate things, but really aren't the majority of the party. But um, I think some of it was a little bit of sexism because they kind of, you know, why can't she be quiet? Well, you know, there are men, you know, why can't Donald Trump be quiet? He's the one who's saying things as recently as this week. And they know, you know, I expect, you know, if if the former president is the former guy is the same as he's always been. He's calling people and saying, hey, the election is rigged. It was stolen. You should be out saying that. You should be, you know, saying all these ridiculous things that he's now sending out on his little Mar-a-Lago blog. So they know these things are false, but they want to ignore it. And really, I'd say two thirds of the caucus, certainly vast amount of the senators and probably even Cruz and Hawley, if Trump disappeared tomorrow, they'd be thrilled. They would yeah. be thrilled if he went. There's no love there. It is fear. And the House tends to be more fearful in that regard. I think, you know, in the Senate, they have to represent more areas. So the fringe people are fringier within the Senate. In a House district, if you've had an easy red district where, you, you know, you didn't have to do a whole lot to keep your seat, Having Trump come in and support your primary opponent or having Trump consultants come in and try and jack up a way to make money by primarying you is something that they genuinely fear. And to give them credit, I think they also want to work on a lot of these other issues. So they feel like this is a distraction, but I think they they have the Trump is the distraction, and yeah. he's going to keep saying things, and yet they're blaming Liz. And she's bigger now, too. They just made it bigger when they tried to make it go away. I'm not in the in your tribe, but no, uh, I do want I, I do want to <laughs> offer a reality check. Be nice to me, Murphy, because you might you might have to come over to my tribe if they kick you out of your tribe permanently. You know, so. I just I just can't rock the Chairman Mao hat and the Red Star right. They wouldn't <laughs> want me. But anyway, go ahead. It seems to me, and, and I'm not defending, I mean, I find it appalling that uh, a caucus would, would stand by Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and oust Liz Cheney. It, it is, it is, it's mind boggling. But once that Liz Cheney said, no, I'm not going to excuse what happened on January 6th, I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm not going to excuse the, uh, the delegitimization of an American election by an, uh, by a former president. Once she did that, uh, and once they made their decision, once Kevin McCarthy got on the plane and went down to Mar-a-Lago to kiss the ring 
after Trump refused to call and help to save McCarthy and his and other members from the mob. Once that happened, I don't I mean, it was inevitable that they they had to get rid of her. She was inconvenient. She was telling inconvenient truths. And they don't have the thing that drives me nuts is this. Well, we want to focus on the future. We don't want to focus on the past, but they're embracing a guy who does nothing but talk about the past. He, all he is consumed by is this fiction that he's not a loser. He is a loser. He lost. He can't stand it. And they are now aiding and abetting his psychosis. Uh, and they're spreading it. But Barbara, I have to say, when you say, uh, you know, 32% approval. That's, that's true, but not among Republicans. And the fact that 70% of Republicans embrace the idea that the election was, uh, fraudulent should be deeply concerning to people who care about the future of the Republican Party. Yeah. Well, well, it is. And, but the, even if he has 70% support within the party, that doesn't get you to, uh, oh, no, it doesn't make him a winner. But it still is, yes, because it's still problematic and people still feel that they need to, you know, respond to that, you know, the, the big lie that he's gotten out there in some ways when you really should be dealing with other issues. So, you know, it's David and I usually would not be agreeing on these things. We, you know, I'd rather be fighting on tax rates. <laughs> Mike and I care about Somebody's got to stand up for the rich. Yeah, but this isn't a partisan <laughs> oh, issue. Oh, class warfare. Yeah, exactly. But I think you also see now, and if Trump got out of the way, Republicans certainly could do a little bit what a down ballot did last year and focus on, you know, the far left pulling the party, you know, too far so that actually down ballot people, say the five candidates that won in California who were all sort of moderate candidate Republicans who won back seats, that was largely because they didn't have to deal with Trump. Trump didn't do rallies in California. They could actually be their own brand and their own person and run in that way. And that's certainly what, you know, most of Republicans would like to do. Yeah, you're right. Trump is front and center. They've made him a litmus test in the House, not in the Senate. And this is a problem going forward because they should be focusing on look at the division right now with the Democrats where, you know, some of them want to do very extreme things on foreign policy, on Israel. There's a big division there, you know, between the Democrat factions, yet nobody's hearing about that because as Donald Trump wants, everybody's focused on him. And that's why feeding that beast, yes, the media wants to keep talking about Trump. I mean, I think the media did a lot in creating him in 16, thinking, oh, yeah, let's let's get these Republicans to nominate this jerk and then it'll be so easy to beat him. I think what happened in 16 is Trump didn't win. Hillary lost. I think she won, you know, ran one of the worst campaigns ever. And because she was such a known factor, people kind of took a flyer. Donald Trump took that as, hey, I'm so great. Uh, but as someone who won in blue territory and purple territory, won, you know, close races, I always knew like, okay, I have to build and get more people and have a bigger, you know, you got to add and multiply, not divide people and down with a minority of your voters. And so Trump, we actually, for those of us who did not want him to get reelected, we're blessed that he has some of the most incompetent 
campaign people working for him. I think Mike would know more. No, no, it's amazing. It's a team of grifters. You ought to put a fence around <laughs> it and declare it a prison. <laughs> All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. Axe, if there's one thing we've learned over the past few years is that being able to pack up and go is more important than ever. Now, you may think, yeah, right, because you know the hassles of moving heavy furniture, taking it apart, putting it back together. You know, I know about you. I'm a lot of things, but I'm not a Swedish furniture engineer, and I, I just hate taking this stuff apart to move it. Well, here's the good news. There's a furniture brand that might as well be made for moving called Burrow. Yeah, I'll tell you something. I'm really feeling it these days because I just did move. And some of that old furniture before I knew about Burrow was a pain in the neck to deal with. Burrow is easy to assemble, easy to move. Burrow's innovative modular design and super helpful instructions make assembling and disassembling your furniture quick and hassle-free. So when it's time to move, your Burrow furniture won't hold you back. You know, I love the credenza because it's got adjustable height interior shelves, which on a lot of stuff, you have to like get a hammer to pound in those little things that hold the shelf. That's another hour. Well, Burrow's designed to be easier. It's designed to make it easy assembly, and it has cord organizing holes in all the right places. Their all-new range collection of seating features wider seats and deeper cushions and a contemporary cool Scandinavian look. That's great because I need a wider seat all the time. <laughs> Me too. Burrow is also easy to shop for. You spare yourself the warehouse trip and shop online. Everything is designed to work perfectly together in your living space. So all you got to do is add to your cart. Plus, Burrow's world-class support team is available for you whenever you need them. Well, there's free shipping on every order too, which saves you an average of 100 bucks on large items like a couch or that extra-wide axle rod seat. So, right now, our listeners can get $75 off your very first order at burrow.com slash hacks. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash hacks for $75 off your burrow purchase. Burrow.com slash hacks. We have some breaking news. McCarthy, our fearful leader, has announced that he's going to stab John Katko, the Republican who uh, also a brave uh, patriot, uh, in the back over this bipartisan agreement that they had to do a fair, independent and truth focused uh, commission looking into the insurrection on the 6th. So McCarthy just cut the legs out of our own bipartisan deal. What's going on there, and does that sink the deal, or do you think there will be enough splinter votes if the Speaker forces a vote on it and for it to pass? We'll see. We'll go forward with the vote. And I think, you know, John Katko is one of the, uh, really one of the most popular members in, in the caucus, you know, even um, after the impeachment vote. He is just a, a, he's just a great all-around guy. He's very smart. He knows Homeland Security and national security very well, a former prosecutor, um, he's been rated one of the most effective lawmakers. You know, I think almost every term he's been in Congress. Yeah, and let me just quickly interrupt you, uh, just for our audience. He voted, he was one of the 10 who voted yeah. to impeach for the president. Impeach. And exactly. he's the only one of them, I've been obsessed with this, where his local party stood with him, not calling for him to be beheaded in anything. He is a savvy uh, New York Paul from the Syracuse area. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and just all around great guy. Like I said, people just like him. I wish he'd run for New York governor. I think he would be a fabulous candidate. 
So he brokered this compromise to make the January 6th commission be very much like the September 11th commission, which was bipartisanly supported. So you'd have five Republicans, five Democrats, you know, the, the four, the two leaders in the House and two leaders in the Senate were going to get to pick so that there would be five Republicans and five Democrats on it. It was going to be focused on January 6th and everything that went on there. I do think it should be narrowly focused like that. Um, I think it will pass despite that opposition. I think, again, this is probably a Donald Trump thing where he doesn't want to have that there. But For good I, reason. Yeah, and I've been saying since January 6th itself, maybe it was January 7th, but I said, you know, they should be subpoenaing Trump phone records right now. I don't even know why Democrats have waited on that. Yeah, I, and a few of those congressional offices from the Loon Caucus where I think we're going to find inside there were some cheerleaders for it. And we should point out these are, these appointees will not be members of Congress. They will be citizens. The model of for this was the 9-11 Commission, right. uh, and which was uh, extraordinarily important. But will you get more votes for this than you got for impeachment? I think so. I certainly hope so. Um, I, but I think the fact that Kevin is opposing it makes it now problematic. I mean, it would have been smarter, I think, just to support it. There still would have been people who would have opposed it. But when leadership opposes something, you're making it difficult for everyone, you know, downwind. And just like with Cheney, they made the uh, issue bigger now. I mean, yeah. she's not going away. The thing is, Trump would not tolerate uh, him not taking a position on this. And I wanted to ask you uh, about that. Uh, because how much of this is Kevin McCarthy? It's not just, I mean, there's a very good chance Republicans will take the House in 2022 just by dint of redistricting and the census. Yeah, despite uh, all the dumb moves, exactly. But but it's not guaranteed that uh, McCarthy will be the Speaker of the House. How much of this is his recognition that if Trump turns against him, it could be harder for him to be Speaker? Is that a play here? You know, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to understand how when people are doing illogical things, why they're doing it. But obviously, there's a much bigger impact in the House uh, with Trump. And I, I think it's a mistake because, again, it's putting him front and center again. Instead of having Republicans say, whatever the outcome on this is, we've got to know what happened. I mean, when you see people like Officer Fanone, who's been out there talking about, you know, this is real. This is what happened. He was getting tased with his own... Mm -hmm. Weapons. He was getting beaten with a flagpole, I think, with a Trump flag on it. These were clearly Trump supporters. I mean, I talked to people, both press and members, um, as well as just other people who were there that day, who I certainly trust. And we know exactly what was happening and who was there and who was doing this. And to keep denying it and try and ignore it and whitewash it, I think is, again, historically that history will not be kind to those who do it. I think the Senate, I think it'll get through the House, and then I think the Senate will um, have it go through also because it's it, it just makes sense to do this. I hope Republicans put somebody like Will Hurd as a vice, you know, because the Republicans get to pick the vice chairman, yeah. Democrats yeah. pick the chairman. Uh, will Hurd, who um, I think still has a great uh, future in the party, who worked at the CIA, was on the Intel Committee, very straight shooter. He would be a wonderful vice chairman um, for the commission. And somebody, again, like John Katko, who members like and trust 
And you, you couldn't do better than to put somebody like him on there. And I think it's so important because getting, you know, who organized the rally, getting the bank records, getting the phone records, getting, I mean, when I was chief counsel on the House Government Reform Committee during the Clinton years, when you get people's phone records and bank records and start putting things together, it tells a story. Now, 20 years later, you have texts and, you know, you can make those connections a lot easier. And we need to know exactly what Trump was doing in the lead up to that, what involvement he had, what, you know, who was paying for this rally and everything that was going on there. Um, certainly what was going on that day. We've had stories about it. There, have been, there are books being written about it. But it really hasn't come out from the White House what went on that day and who these people are and their connections. And that still is ongoing to members of Congress because these people were there. You know, I, I have people even within my own district that send out these emails or different things on Facebook where they are people who I know are good people who are believing these lies because somebody they trusted has told yeah. That's why I think it's so important. And maybe they'll never change their mind. But certainly the people who've been arrested and put in jail, they're coming out now and saying, gee, I got carried away. I believe the big lie. This wasn't good. I'm afraid we're going to have to have more of that before things turn. The reason I'm speaking out and want to support people like John Katko and Liz and Will Hurd, who I know is out there talking to my former colleague, Denver Riggleman, who works on um, on these issues, national security issues, and tracking down conspiracy theories. Um, we need to get this QAnon conspiracy crap out of our party. It needs to be out of the body politic. And I do, I mean, I do compare Trump to a kidney stone that is, or golf, yes. whatever you cho your choice, passing through the body politic, passing through our party. Yes, it's very painful. It's, you know, you think of Kramer and Seinfeld, it's not fun, but it's not, it shouldn't be deadly. But the faster it passes, the better we're going to do as a country and as a party. Well, it's moving past some key arteries, so we'll see how sharp it is. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. These have been difficult times for people. Folks get into an emotional bind. They, they face mental health issues, and they need help. Absolutely. That's why BetterHelp will help. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment. It's extremely convenient. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. And this is important. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. Yeah, you send a message to your counselor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. You know you can access the service worldwide. You can find the particular expertise you need, and you don't have to limit yourself to counselors located near you. You know, you can get help for depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, current state of the Republican Party, in my case, sleeping <laughs> trauma, anger, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. 
And anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional, affordable. You can check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. It is not a crisis line. It is counseling. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. So life is short, and we want you to start living a happier life today. So get the tools. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp.com slash hacks. So join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash hacks. I read, uh, I think you were a signatory to the that op-ed that uh, basically declared that uh, the 100 or so Republicans, mostly former office holders, saying that either the party rejects Trumpism or you guys will re- reject it. Um, I think we both signed it. So oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Here. You're surrounded. I'm sorry about that. I didn't well, mean to. Well, we're not Democrats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I understand. But but my thing is, I'm not sure that the mainstream Republican voter today believes what you believe. Uh, I don't think they believe in free trade. I don't think they believe in immigration. I don't think they believe uh, in uh, in uh, budget constraint. Uh, that may be a more seasonal thing. But... Um, you know, none of that is Trumpism is none of that. And and a majority follow him. Um, so, you know, isn't part of the problem that you're you're part of the Republican Party is not the dominant uh, wing of the party. I mean, it's not just a Trump problem. It's a voter problem. Yeah, it's a very good point. You know, there's some interest. Fabrizio did an interesting poll you can get. I've tweeted a few times where he broke it up into tribes and like two thirds yeah. say nice things about Trump. But on the other hand, a majority want to move beyond him. I think you we have to be careful about reverse engineering the ideological opinions of the primary vote through the Trump lens because he, he kind of bent all the reality. That's why it was so shocking in 16. The conventional wisdom from every primary campaign was, oh my God, he's given money to Schumer, he's for gun control, he's essentially pro-choice. Uh, those are the issues we know the primary voters resonate to. That'll kill Trump. And it didn't. Trump was able to defy gravity through the cult of personality and his tough guy image and his grievance politics. So I don't know if Trump, I think it's, let's put it this way, I think Trump is the dog and the issue stuff is the tail. Um, I don't think I don't think Trump was elected so much because of his issues. But that said, there's definitely a populist wave in the primary electorate that's stronger than ever before. You saw it with Buchanan, but it was not a majority position right. there. And, you know, we I think we can go litigate that. But step one is you can't have the, the Trump cult warping the gravity field. So for all the speculation we're all thoroughly enjoying, you know, particularly us, because what we love to do on Hacks on Tap, we got to get to the primaries next year to, to find out. You know, yeah. that that's where we're going to mark this to market. Like, like Cheney. I think she has a very good chance to win her primary, mostly because there's no runoff and it's a multi-way field. Well, yeah, field. she'll get a bunch of people in there. Yeah, exactly. And there, but there will be other important ones. You know, we'll we're, we're see what happens. Will will the catcos of the world get a primary? There's uh, Anthony Gonzalez, who's an incredible rising right. star up in northern Ohio. Trump's already sent his uh, his guy in there to challenge him. Yeah, that's the classic Trump surrogate versus a rising star fight. So. I, I don't know, but but you're right about the headwinds, David. No doubt at all. I just think it's more Trump personality than a complete realignment 
of what primary voters believe in. I mean, the Democratic Party is going through this, too. I mean, you had Bernie Sanders voters who came over and voted for Trump in 16. So that populism, the grievance, you know, which to me is a lot of the, you know, we're going through a lot of workforce challenges and sort of the whole workforce development area where we've got to take, you know, industries that are dying and get people moved into another, you know, into other jobs and, and, and one of the jobs of the future. That challenge, both parties are having, you know, people who just kind of complain about it and try and use it as an issue. Then there's sort of a coalition in the middle who try and, you know, hey, let's do work workforce development legislation that'll actually help people, not just try and add at the other party that way. So both parties are going through a lot of changes. So I want to stay a Republican and focus on candidates because there's nothing like success in getting a candidate to turn things around. You know, when we had, you know, Republicans, you know, we lose in 2008 in Virginia, 2009 when I came in, we had Bob McDonald. Bob's for jobs. Bob was just a very nice guy. People really liked him. He was focused on jobs, education, and transportation, kitchen table issues. I came in with a wave of people with him, a bunch of Northern Virginia Republicans winning seats. So that, and then when we won, we were actually able to execute on those kind of policies. And it was a response to, you know, thank you, David, you helped me get elected in 2009. That was, it was, it was a backlash to things that had gone on already in 2009. It wasn't my plan, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but that's, you know, we are a 50-50 country and it goes back and forth. But I do think the leaders, I mean, I ran in part because I knew Bob McDonald. I knew he was um, a, you know, just a, a good person who was focused on legislation. I knew what I wanted to run on and the issues. And when nobody thought when we started, I mean, I'm inside the, I live inside the beltway. I was not supposed to win. But when you won, that model helped with 2010. And even, you know, in 2014, when I ran for Congress, we had weeded out kind of the Marjorie Green nutsos. You know, I, I beat a number of those in my primary. So we were moving away from that. Unfortunately, Trump brought it back. Now we got to move it back. So I look to who are the candidates like Adam Kinzinger, like a Will Hurd, you know, like Chris Sununu in New Hampshire, who's a very popular governor. How can they get us forward looking, not take us back like Trump wants to do, but forward looking, solving these problems with a better response than what they're hearing? I, I think one of the problems with the cleaving to Trump that you're going to have to face is in areas like yours and in suburban areas around the country where Republicans want to claim seats, reclaim seats, and so on. It's a, He's like a, uh, you know, he may be a boon in some places. He is an anchor there. Yeah, totally. He's the secret weapon to get yeah, Alabama from absolutely. 68 to 72, Republican, but he's absolutely anthrax in the suburbs. And, and He helped us lose a Senate seat in Alabama. So even in Alabama, we lost a Senate seat. When he inspires a crazy enough flying saucer candidate, which we now have enough in Congress to have a caucus for them. Uh, <laughs> I, I just want to quickly touch on mass politics. You know, if I were chairman of the RNC, which is literally the most impossible, you know, hypothetical in the history of human civilization, <laughs> I would have a big banner in front of the building saying, you cannot vote 
for Trump in 2024 if you're on a ventilator. Because this data about Republicans and vaccinations is insane. And now we're having the whole masking debate. What, uh, uh, David, what's your take on all that? Barbara talks about uh, economics and talking to the alienated voter uh, about economics. S- almost everything is, pass- is being passed through a cultural filter now. Uh, and masks are part of that. The idea that, you know, these experts are going to tell us what to do. And With their fancy live. medical degrees, right? And know I mean, it all there there is a yeah. real there's a real uh, rebellion against that. I think Biden, and I've said this here. I think he's handled the first hundred days very, very. He handled the first hundred days very well. He's got very high marks on this virus thing. I was a little bewildered last week at the abruptness of the announcement that we could we could take the masks off if we've been vaccinated. Only in this regard. Uh, you know, on Tuesday, the CDC director was, uh, Walensky was uncertain about this in her testimony before Congress. She got a lot of grief from Susan Collins and others. Uh, apparently Wednesday night, they told the White House, yeah, you know, we think we can go ahead and do this. And, and then Friday, the president announced it. But I, I don't think there's any period during that time when the governors were talked to, the mayors were talked to, business leaders were talked to, and it kind of threw everybody into the deep end. That was a rare kind of misstep in my view. Do you think they thought it was a big win somehow because it's been so sloppy? There's no doubt. And look, I think it is a big relief. Nobody wants to be stuck in uh, COVID hell uh, you know, forever, and people are tired of wearing their masks, and I, I completely understand that. Um, but you know, I'm just I'm hearing from mayors and governors and business leaders who are trying to figure out, well, what are we supposed to do now? We've got this policy. There's good reason for it. You know, I run a restaurant. I don't want I I and and mostly they're worried about like I don't want to be responsible for finding out if people had a vaccination or not. And so you're sort of taking people's word for it. Yeah, that that's the thing that the honor system, really? Where people think the vaccine's a secret government tracking device so we can see what you know what Bubba's up to because of fascinating life daily. It is unbelievable to me. So much of the Trump hangover still the the, vac- the vaccine politics, the mask politics. Yes. We know from you know some of the stories that are coming out from last year that there were people within the Trump administration that wanted to really push masks and that might have you know slowed the spread er- earlier on if we had done that. So it's, un- you know, I think it was Mark Meadows, according to the stories, who said, no, we can't do that. Our people will go crazy. Well, when you look at the people who aren't getting vaccinated, if they are more Republicans, you actually have a tragic situation where Trump is killing off his own voters um, by by doing this. I mean, I have heard stories of people whose family, you know, that the virus is a hoax. I'm not going to do this. And then, they, you know, we, we've seen those stories on, on TV now and then they they die. Well, those, you know, I, I just have concern for them as human beings, but also many of us People, you know, when I hear anybody on whatever side complaining about masks or what people are being forced to do, I wonder, don't you have a fam- a family member with cancer or immune compromised? We all know people like that. I have a sister who took the vaccine, yet found out that it's not giving her anymore. Yeah. She still has to wear a mask. If I take, you know, if she's at the Capitol, I don't need Marjorie Green's staff screaming at her that she can take off her mask. So, 
this needs to be really toned down and not be political. The vaccine, I, I was very pleased to at least see what Reverend Graham came out and said, listen, you gotta take, you gotta take the vaccine. You gotta get out there, you know, as a pastor. And I think pastors are a great place for Republicans to go to get more people vaccinated. And certainly we know from some of the, you know, looking at who influences them, their doctors, their own doctors influence them. Yeah, peer to peer. I just think it needs to not be politicized. And I just ask everyone to think of who do you know in your circle who has died from this, who has immune compromised situations, who, you know, I mean, my parents live with me part of the year. You know, we have new babies in the family. You have, you know, different health issues. Yeah. I just don't understand people who just have a lack of sympathy and want to make this political. And it, it, well, it, I've solved this with Murphy's Law, which is catching on everywhere, particularly in red states, where in order to enter a gun store, a professional wrestling <laughs> match, or a tractor pull, you have to take an on-site vaccination. I think if, if the masks were inflammatory with some, you know, the idea of vaccine passports are are, are more so, but you know... I don't. I mean, it doesn't bother doesn't bother me at all to say, look, yes, I've been vaccinated, and here's the. I mean, we do that with children when we send them to school; they have to keep vaccination records. And Barbara, I, I can totally identify with your point about the masks. I have a, a sister in law who I love, who uh, is a transplant patient, and the and she did not develop antibodies. She had the mm -hmm. shots, and she has to continue to wear a mask. And the idea that she would be harassed for it. Yeah, it's uh, unbelievable. Is, is really uh, yeah. There just needs to be a lot more education by people, and I think maybe the press needs to put people on and explain. You know, think about these people. Put these people. I mean, Chris Christie was out there saying, "Hey, I think it was his two members of his family who died back in the fall because they didn't." You know, and he himself, being you know, he's talked about how fragile a situation he was in because he didn't take it as seriously as he should. So we need more people out there. hanging hanging with the wrong crowd then. Yeah, I mean, my sister had to wear masks before this happened when she traveled or did things. She'd wipe down the plane seat because she was immune compromised. And that's yes. there are children with childhood cancer. You know, we can all go through yeah. those situations. So people need to have some heart on this and, and just think about it's like, you know, do unto others and, and, and just they'll know we're Christians by our love and consideration for them and get back to some of that instead of the politics of nastiness that Trump has just made bloom in a way that has even made people who I know are very good think. Yeah, well, that's tribalism for you. You just follow the leader. God help you when you have a bad leader. Golden rule is not trading very high right now. Yeah, no, it's trading like zinc. <laughs> we're in a place where in Ohio and West Virginia, they have to pay people to take a miracle drug. I mean, that's what America has been. God help us if we'd been like this in World War II, because, oh my God, we can't land at Anzio Beach. There might be gluten there or mind control vaccines the medic could get. I mean, it is unbelievable to me, but I think the future to get to the 70% may be paying people, maybe more tricks like that. Uh, I think that's just where our society has landed. Well, and I'm very proud that we're now going to send the vaccine to others, just like we did with HIV. We're dying to get it, by the way. I, I don't yeah. think, you know, right now on Kenyan radio, there's a lot of talk about mind control and the vaccine. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. So, Mike, we both have homes. You want to feel safe in your home. 
And Simply Safe is an award-winning home security system, so you know it's engineered with the latest technology you want to keep your family safe. But what really sets Simply Safe apart is its people. Highly trained security experts, they know what they're doing. They're always there for you when you need them most. These are people who truly care about keeping you safe. Absolutely. Look, when an alarm goes off, I mean, think about it. You got the Hells Angels circling your house. You want to talk to a pro to be able to handle the situation. And that's what you get with Simply Safe. A person who cares is there for you with a phone call to make sure you're okay. When an emergency happens, a person who cares is there for you to make sure fire and police responders get to your front door right away. Even if you're just having a problem setting up your system, a person who cares is there for you with a friendly chat chat and a quick resolution. When you need them most, Simply Safe is there 24/7 with people who care and experts trained to not only keep you safe but to make you feel safe. It's one of the many reasons US News recently called Simply Safe the best home security of 2021. To learn more about how Simply Safe can help protect you and your family, visit simplysafe.com/hacks today to customize your system and get a free security camera. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. That's simplysafe, s i m p l i s a f e.com/hacks. simplysafe.com/hacks. With the most rental listings anywhere, there's no wrong way to get into your right place on apartments.com. You could latch a tablet to the wall and throw magnetic darts at a rental search map, or you could lather your phone screen in peanut butter and let your furry roommate lick their way to a tasty new pet-friendly place. You know, I guess you could use your tablet like a spirit board and call upon your late beloved Nana so she gets her say too. (laughs) Yes. And now Apartments.com even offers virtual tours so you can explore your potential place from anywhere with an internet connection. And in, in these COVID times, that's no small thing. You could do it anywhere, at a bar, on a bad first date, knock yourself out, or a tandem bike pedaling along the beach. Not advisable, but certainly not impossible. How about a round base camp at Mount Everest? Now that's nearing the summit of all things you can search, from the tried-and-true methods of the virtually enhanced techniques to the downright unorthodox approaches. You're bound to discover that special somewhere to call your own on Apartments.com. The most popular place to find a place. So abortion politics are back. Let's pivot out of uh, Republican problems. Uh, the Supreme Court, we, we got the wheels moving. I think the Democrats probably ideologically are horrified, but politically are very excited. Another weapon potentially for the suburbs. David, what's the, what's the secret plan over there at Team D about this? Do you think it'll be a big part of the 2022 elections? <laughs> Mike, I'm I'm not authorized to share. <laughs> uh, look, um, you know what is clear is they're going to hear this in the fall. This is going this 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 uh, decision will come in the spring, uh, right on the doorstep of those elections. And you know we talked about these suburban battlegrounds. Yeah. Uh, earlier, this this is not this is not good timing uh, from the standpoint of. Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming that they're going to that they're going to take a big whack out of uh, Roe versus Wade uh, next spring, um, and you know, you you know, uh, Barbara certainly knows uh, from her own experience about the outmigration of women from the Republican Party in the suburbs. I don't think this is going to help 
in that regard. Um, you know, so um, I mean, there are there are obviously larger implications beyond politics here uh, that uh, are worthy of consideration. But us being hacks, we being hacks, I think have to look at the politics of it. I, I think the politics of it. Um, you know, now you know. You guys may want to argue it the other way that this will be a triumph in the minds of the base of the Republican Party, a certification that Trump delivered these justices, and now they have delivered what uh, what uh, you know the evangelical movement and others have uh, fought for for fifty years, which is to overturn Roe. So this is a big triumph and an affirmation, and that's certainly how Trump will. Uh, portray any such decision, but I think it hurts you in the suburbs. Well, I don't. I mean, I think it's important to understand, you know, what what the case is and the question that the case brought up, because the only thing that's been granted cert is, and here's here's the question. I'll quote it: It's whether all pre viability prohibitions on elective abortions are unconstitutional. So it is a it, the statute is a fifteen week abortion right. uh, except for medical emergencies or severe abnormalities so life of the mother and other things are there and i i'm not familiar with the entire bill but it's also important to understand however it's addressed if something like this goes back to the states abortion isn't banned people both sides interpret this wrong you know you'd hear trump say rose overturned will ban abortion the left says if Rose overturned, the you know abortion is banned, and that's in every Supreme Court nomination since I've been a lawyer in the '80s has all been about abortion because they look at those nine votes as the votes that are going to decide whether abortion is banned. I don't know that I don't expect that Roe would be overturned if this kind of regulation is allowed. It would still be something where it goes by back to the states. It wouldn't require it. You already have states, a number of states, I, I think certainly New York, maybe others that have already enshrined abortion mm -hmm. almost up to birth. You know, they don't even, you know, ban partial birth abortion, which is most people do support banning late term, you know, viable babies aborting them. So there is um, there's misinterpretation on both sides and both. And, and unfortunately, in campaigns, it's all all or nothing. People think it's all abortions are going to be banned. Yeah. Or they're, and so you would have most of the states would still have uh, like this 15 week um, limitation. Most abortions occur. I would say, you know, I don't know. It's well over 90 percent occur before 15 weeks. So this doesn't even address most abortions. So it's about whether states could regulate at that point. And because we know viability, you know, the original Roe case said, you know, um, you know, it's post viability. And of course, viability with science has moved back and further back. So it's much more complex than this, than I think the conversation that has already gone on. So I know in 30 second sound bites, yes, you're right. Yeah. In the suburbs, it will be abortion is banned. That will be false. Hopefully, the people who do the ads on, because I, I had, ads attacking me on that issue that were ruled as false because they had said uh, certain things about about those bills. So I do think in, in, in terms of women, I will point out that women tend to be more pro-life than men actually in the polls, but definitely in, in terms of the suburbs and that interpretation, this does throw 
to, you know, an unknown area. So once, but what, after all of these things about constitutional government and whether an insurrection is an insurrection, if people actually get back to just arguing about an issue like abortion, it might be a bit more refreshing than some of the um, unpleasantness that we've had here. But the it would then, if it's thrown into the state houses, then you'd have a lot of state houses races being run on this. So it would yeah. more the state houses that would be upset about it, um, not necessarily Congress, but it also might remove some of the abortion politics from the Supreme Court. And we can get back to the say, hey, we'd like you to rule on the law, not make abortion politics be only what a Supreme Court nomination is about. Well, but I think, I think it's going to be the, the look at it will probably be more nuanced than what people expect. And I never predict what the Supreme Court is going to do because you have precedents. It's been there for 48 years. How they'll go about this, I think, will be more nuanced than either side expects. You know, unfortunately, because this is Hacks on Tap, we because you gave a thoughtful, nuanced, and fact-based answer to a complicated issue, we have to find you three deceased <laughs> Chicago voter receipts for that one because you're, you're right, except it'll be a bumper sticker war, and the framing right. will be abortion rights under attack, which as we, in suburban districts is trouble, and it's five to seven hundred million new dollars for the Democrats in the election cycle. It'll be a bonfire of cash. And uh, that that is not good. And I, I think the base politics of the Republican Party, particularly of Trump leading the charge, are going to be to double down because they think it's a winning fight and we'll get Alabama up to 78 percent. But that pushes out other issues we can talk about. So the party, I agree with you on the merits and the the uh, the reality of it, but it's going to be a bumper sticker war. And I think this is a political gift to the D's and they will exploit it ruthlessly. And the facts can wait till later from their point of view. I know you guys wanted to talk about Israel, Palestinians, and but we're under time pressure here, Mike. I think there are two political aspects, so I don't get the Chicago voter fine here. One is, will foreign policy move up the issue agenda and be relevant next year or not if this crisis grows? And two, the you know for the first time, you're seeing kind of the pro-Palestinian forces in, in the democratic world in particular kind of bucking orthodoxy. And is that a manageable thing or will that will that have domestic political implications? You see, you know, uh, somebody uh, I probably I think it was AOC was was calling, you know, call, using the word apartheid regarding the Israelis and the Palestinians. So it, it, there's a lot of noise coming from the left. that's a lot rougher, you know, APAC and and uh, uh, um, the lobby that has been very strong in both parties uh, for Israel. Do we think that will be a material political difference or it's an inside battle that will be eclipsed next year by other things? Look, I think it's a really serious issue. And, um, you know, I I believe like a lot of American Jews, Israel has a right to respond when they're under attack. Mm -hmm. But also like a lot of American Jews, uh, I recognize that this, the status quo is untenable. The treatment of the Palestinians needs to change. Uh, the, the status of the Palestinians needs to be, uh, needs to be seriously, uh, uh, considered and approached and dealt with. Uh, and, you know, there were provocations here that, uh, that led to this that, that shouldn't, shouldn't have been. Having said all that, uh, do I think it's going to be uh, definitional in the next election? I do not. I think I agree. I think one problem is Bibi 
has become a partisanized leader here, which is not good for Israel. By his choice, by his yeah, choice. Yeah, no, totally, totally. He made the move. Barbara, you have the last word here. Yeah, I was going to say, we, come from the, we all come from the generation where there was that bipartisan support for Israel, whether you like the particular leader that's there at the time. And so I do think Biden's strong support for Israel's rights to defend itself has, is causing consternation. But I, before we got on here, I went and looked at on APAC's website, and they've got a video you know, from you know, the trip when you know, members were over there, and you had Hakeem Jeffries, Ted Deutsch, Chrissy Houlihan, these are all House members. Chrissy Houlihan may run for Senate in Pennsylvania. Haley Stevens, Democrat from Michigan. Lucy McBath. They were all talking about their strong support for Israel. So you do have this divide that will be highlighted among Democrats. And I think that's, you know, as a strong supporter of Israel myself, I think that bipartisan sense is where we need to be. But certainly generationally, these younger Democrats are way out there. And um, I, I think that's a problem for the party, both probably internally for them and, and who gets voices and who gets, you know, but I mean, Nancy Pelosi did put some of these people on committees where I certainly would rather have them be. Strong support for Israel doesn't necessarily mean strong support for every policy of Israel or for the status quo. And every, you know, presidents, Republican and Democrat have been pressuring both Israel and the Palestinians to uh, to resolve uh, the status of the Palestinians, two-state solution, and so on. So we'll see what happens. The great Murnak will make a quick prediction. We'll move on to our jingle. I predict there will be a, a ceasefire supported by the Israelis within 48 hours. Yeah. When the president of the United States calls for one, uh, that tends to happen. He didn't call very loudly, but we'll see. We'll see. It makes sense. And look, I think from a political standpoint, Netanyahu actually is a big beneficiary of all of this, uh, you know, tragedy uh, because uh, he uh, was able to reel back in. Yeah, change the topic. Some of the recalcitrant right back into his fold, and it may allow him to continue as prime minister, which was very much in doubt. Anyway, let's hit the jingle. We just got a telegram from the Stop Violence Against Jingle uh, Committee in our woke <laughs> world that requires a full apology and restitution <laughs> for that remark, David. All right, question time. If you have a question for the hacks and our guests and our empire here, send it to us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And don't forget on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us to rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get new listeners. You can even use a share button on those apps to send it to your unsuspecting friends and uh, ruin their day. So we, we encourage you to give that a try. Barbara Tanner asks, I just learned, and it's so propitious that you're here. I just learned that Virginia has an odd rule that governors are term limited because they can't run in consecutive elections. What's that about? Are there other really weird election laws out there that don't really seem to benefit anyone? Yes, Virginia only allows a one-term governor. It's a fairly powerful governor. They can do things like edit bills and send them back. And and, and, and they it's a very strong governor, but it's one term. Because a lot of people in the state house want to run for governor. They never vote to change it. I was for giving a two-term governor because you know, I don't think you want to ever be a lame duck, but it still remains. But in Virginia right now, Terry McAuliffe, who is a previous governor, is now running in a non-consecutive term. You can't run two consecutive terms, but you can be a one-term governor again after you know you have an interim term in between. Virginia also 
didn't have party registration, and, which, and also allowed each party to decide their method of nomination. As of 2024, Virginia will have to do primaries instead of a lot of convention nonsense where a lot of people in the most extreme parts of the party wanted to have a, just a convention so they, so they could get those uh, candidates nominated who then couldn't win. For example, a Ken Cuccinelli who lost to the aforementioned Terry McAuliffe, who's running again. So I think it's a good uh, change that we'll have primaries going forward, uh, but we still are stuck with the one-term governor. Hallelujah uh, on primaries. I've been through a few of those conventions, and it is uh, yes, it is not good. All right, for Mr. Axelrod from Matt. Yes, sir. Great question. How would Axe advise the Dems in the Illinois legislature to handle redistricting in light of the gerrymandering that's sure to come from Texas, Arizona, etc.? In other words, should the regular Democratic machine in Illinois abandon its usual law-the-letter principles that's and not actually what Matt bend? Asked. Fire away. What do you got? How would Axe advise the Dems? I would advise them to uh, to handle it deftly. Okay, I've got one for you, Mike. No, no. Uh, they shouldn't go after Adam Kinzinger in Illinois and redistrict. I think Adam's going to find himself without a seat there uh, is most likely what's going to happen. Look, I think that, first of all, legislatures aren't apt to um, give their power away, and I, I don't think this legislature will. I also think that one of the problems with reforming redistricting around the country is that uh, no one wants to— disarm unilaterally. And so, uh, no, you know, my guess is that the Illinois legislature will draw a map that is favorable to Democrats. Illinois is losing one seat. And my guess is the map will be drawn in such a way that that seat is likely to be a Republican seat. No one's asking for my advice, except for you, Matt. You asked for my advice. John says, my gut tells me that Trump will somehow escape his many perils Department of Justice, foreign creditors, cholesterol, speaking of guts, by November 2024 and will want to run again. What odds do you give for a 2020 rematch and what alternative scenario do you think is most likely? Wow, great question. I'm optimistic that he will fade out and we will have some upset wins in primaries where the Trump conventional wisdom will be shattered. Uh, But I'm not certain. And so I'll give you the nightmare scenario. It's pretty simple. It's mixed result in the primaries, but because of redistricting headwinds and democratic socialism, the Republicans, sort of like a whale falling, uh, rolling down the beach dead, will still win majority in the House. And the media will cover that as Trump's comeback. Um, there will be, you know, more gridlock. Inflation will have slowed the economy down. The Dems will have uh, have a lot of uphill there. Trump will win a nomination again. He'll run, win a plurality, and it'll be Trump v. Kamala Harris. Uh, the Dems will run on identity. He'll run on white resentment identity, and he will win again. And we'll have four more years of of just absolute horror and destruction. I will be doing everything I can to prevent that. And I think it is not the most likely scenario, but I do think it is a possible scenario. Poor Barbara, the color just drained from her face. No, this is my this is my nightmare. I have every Thursday night, um, and then I I go online and I check Canadian citizenship. But uh, it, it, it's not not at all. I mean, not certain, but it, you can't totally discard that scenario. The Dems need another Biden. Well, how about our aforementioned Will Hurd? Let's get him out there running. <laughs> oh, I love my Will. goodness. Yeah. 
Uh, Will's a Will's a buddy of mine, and I'm going to have to report to him that you have. Yeah, we're ruining his life. Touted the right? hell out of him here. Yeah, I've already gotten an angry text. I don't, old CIA trick. I don't know how he's even listening when we haven't put this thing up yet. <laughs> Barbara Comstock, it's so good to uh, to be with you. Come back often. We will uh, check our forecasts and predictions against each other from time to time. <laughs> don't do and- that. That breaks the number one rule of punditry. <laughs> and Barbara, so great to have you here, old comrade. I will see you in the trenches in the worthy fight. We're going to get them. All right, you guys. Good luck with that. And we'll see you soon. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. <laughs>